Download a podcast from Relay FM recorded June 22nd, 2017. This is episode 9 Artisanal Soda Bars. download a weekly look at the most interesting stories in the world of technology and other stuff you care about. I am your host, Jason Snell. As always, this week I'm joined by two wonderful guests. She's back again, continuing her dominance at the top of the charts of our most frequent guests. And you'll discover why I specifically asked for her when you discover what we're talking about. <laughs> it's Lisa Schmeiser, the editor of the Supersite for Windows. Hi, Lisa. Welcome back. Hi, I'm so thrilled to be back. And joining us for the first time, host of Tech News Today and iOS Today at Twit. I was just on one of those shows. It's Megan Maroney. Hello. Hello, Jason. It's nice. Uh, I'm glad I get to be on another podcast with you within a week. It's exciting. Look at that. Well, it's just it is funny how you're reminded of people when you're on their podcasts and then you're like, oh, hey, I could talk to Megan again. Let's do that. So here we are. Um, we should probably get down to it. The most interesting stories of the week, we like to say, as chosen in opinionated fashion by both me and my download podcast producer, Mr. Stephen Hackett, who I am told has a new fish in his office that's named <laughs> after Steve Wozniak. Yeah, he's he's over there in his bowl laying out circuits uh, on a tiny <laughs> underwater circuit board. It's it's adorable. What's his name? Is he Woz the fish? He's Woz the fish. Yeah, and, he, oh. and he's a beta fish to continue the more jokes. Uh, oh, oh, wow. Oh, pretty good, well, right? That's good. Well, <laughs> I, I look forward to knowing when, when Waz the Fish is upgraded to final candidate status then. Oh. Uh, but until then, let's move on to our topics. Topic number one, Amazon <laughs> has offered $13.4 billion for Whole Foods in a mind-blowing deal that was never rumored and nobody really saw coming, I'm going to say, which is interesting unto itself. The deal would give Amazon physical access points in the most wealthy neighborhoods in the United States and a real entry into the $800 billion grocery market, big market. Meanwhile, reports say that Amazon's blood enemy, Walmart, could possibly counteroffer. And regardless, some industry analysts were saying this week, if Walmart loses the grocery industry to Amazon, they will be hopelessly behind in the death struggle that Walmart and Amazon seem to be sharing. So, Amazon and Whole Foods. I live near a Whole Foods, and now I'm kind of wondering what this all means, if it means anything or or if it means nothing. Lisa, what, what's your take on Amazon buying Whole Foods? We talked about Amazon a few weeks ago and their their goal for world domination. What what what, what What's your take on where the Whole Foods acquisition factors in? So, Amazon has two objectives that drive most of their business. And the first one is they want to make sure they can aggregate as much data as possible because data is a fungible commodity. It can be repackaged and resold, you know, almost infinitely. There's always going to be a customer for data. This gives them a fantastic new data stream uh, with, you know, over 400 national outlets, uh, buying trends, uh, triggers. And since Whole Foods has done a lot of work into taking a look at what triggers people to buy, Amazon can take that and apply that to their other brick and mortar outlets. So there's that, there's that relationship there. Um, and remember that Amazon's goal is to ultimately become a retailer for anything, anywhere. And this is a great way to get started because they've got years of institutional experience from Whole Foods regarding the customer experience, regarding retail triggers, um, merchandising, shopping as an experience. So they'll take that. They'll apply it. 
Um, there is also the potential to use the grocery supply line as raw material for machine learning about, about groceries and things like that. Um, an argument I made in the issue of So What, Who Cares? that was published in The Observer yesterday was because Whole Foods actually has a fantastic uh, reputation for engineering a customer-specific experience, Amazon now has a, a new deep bench of built-in built-in institutional knowledge and expertise to improve their own customer-centric relationships. And they can actually use that on the back end and enterprise side as they figure out how to continue dominating in the cloud, in their cloud platform sector. Uh, Cause that's, that's one of the biggest retail drivers for the company as a whole. And finally, it really does allow them to lash out at Walmart because Walmart is the number one organic food retailer in the country. It sells more organic food than anyone else. And uh, Amazon, when it buys Whole Foods, it's essentially buying a pretty healthy stake in the business and it can figure out how to squeeze suppliers the same way Walmart does or cultivate suppliers, which is what Walmart, Walmart has actually been doing for the last 10 years. And, uh, it can, it can basically, it has a built in network now of farmers, suppliers, um, customer relationships. And by customer, in this case, I mean, um, food wholesalers and food manufacturers. It can take that and use it to strike at the organic food industry. Why it wants to do that is because organic food is one of the few grocery sectors that's expected to grow by a factor of four to five times over the next five to six years. So Amazon's coming in at a point where it, it's, it's identified a market that's poised to take off. It's identified its principal competitor, and it's now found a built-in distribution network for taking on that competitor. I, I think that's really interesting. I think that there's been so many hot takes on this, and I hadn't really heard this one, so I'm, I'm <laughs> fascinated by it. I I mean, I think a lot of people are talking about uh, what's going to happen to the physical stores. Will they continue to be grocery stores, or will they be like drone silos? Um, you know, are they trying to be like the last mile uh, for our, you know, groceries just to get get as close to, as possible so that we can just get our, uh, you know, our peaches from a delivered from a drone as fast as possible. And and what are going to I also wonder what's going to happen to the, the people that work there. I mean, I you know, talking to your Whole Foods checkout guy is like talking to an Uber driver. It's like built in interview possibility. You're, you're stuck in that position. So when I asked mine, he you know, he's. He was very frustrated with so many people asking. Everyone asked. He's like, oh, I'm just, uh, yes, I'm. Um, but he's excited about it because I guess Whole Foods was not doing very well in general. And he said, I mean, this was like a, I don't know, 30-year-old guy. And he was like, you know, I worked for Whole Foods when I was 20. And I have the same salary as I did 10 years ago. And so I think that that's good. It makes me worry, like, you know, with Amazon Go and just the, you know, wave your phone at, at different groceries and then walk out the door without paying and never talking to the guy that, uh, you know, your checkout guy or gal. So I think uh, it, I, I don't know, I guess I, um, I'm interested to see what happens. And I don't have a ton of experience knowing, understanding how grocery stores work and the chain of command. And, and when you say that they are, they, uh, Whole Foods has a built-in customer relations, uh, making a, a individual customer uh, experience for everyone. What does that mean? I'm interested in what you mean by that. So uh, I did a little legwork on Whole. F I don't. I don't have a Whole Foods nearby, and I'm lazy. So, <laughs> so when I was reading up on Whole Foods, uh, one of the things that helped them build out the business a whole lot from 2000 on was a very careful and concerted look at how to make shopping at the store a really pleasurable experience because people who linger and people who try things are actually more likely to buy things. They'll deviate from lists. They'll throw in an impulse purchase. Um, 
they'll buy something with the promise of thinking, oh, I really enjoyed this at the store. I'm going to enjoy this at home. So Whole Foods has spent a whole lot of time engineering their stores to make them pleasurable for people. They put flowers in the front because that instantly sets shopper expectations that um, this is a natural environment and it's abundant and it's fresh and it's beautiful. And, you know, they have their, their, their produce is displayed like art. To give you the idea that it's an indulgent experience to buy a bell pepper, <laughs> they have um, you know these gleaming beds of ice upon which they nestle assorted condiments and salads and and hummus dips and things like that. And again, the sparkle is there. The ice adds a little bit of luxury. Believe it or not, this is how people respond to it. And when they see things so carefully displayed, it elevates the experience. Um, and they're actually more likely to linger. They're more likely to touch. And there's a huge body of research that shows that customers who touch things are more likely to buy them. Like this was actually considered to be a big obstacle for e-commerce for forever was, oh, people can't touch it, so they won't buy it. And um, so there's this idea that you you engage people at every step of the shopping process. They, they now have like wine bars in some of the stores so that people can stop and get a drink and keep going. They have, you know, abundant samples, things like that. This in concert with a lot of research looking at how for younger adults, shopping is only gratifying or they'll drop a lot of money if there's an experience attached to it. Um, like there's an in-store artisanal soda bar, like some teen retailers started doing. I forget which one, but they're basically now having, they, they basically now have artisanal soda bars in the back where the kids can come in, get a soda. And as they're sipping their, their mango melon spritzer, they can fondle the t-shirts and then walk out with one. Right. Um, some department stores have managed to stanch losing buckets of money by offering in-store, you know, makeup seminars or in-store facialists and things like that. Sir Latab has actually done really well by having a lot of in-store classes. Whole Foods cultivates this and, uh, it's something that Amazon could learn from, especially as they build out their, their bricks and mortar things. Um, I haven't been inside an Amazon bookstore yet either, but I wouldn't be surprised if they do start doing things like offering to host book clubs and, and all the other things that neighborhood booksellers are doing because Amazon is going to twig sooner or later to the idea that data is not the only thing that drives book sales. The, the promise of the experience you'll have in a book does as well. So. That's where some of the knowledge can kind of slosh back and forth between the two. Um, Megan, you raised a really great point about employment. And something I read a couple days ago is that Amazon's effectively doubled its payroll with this acquisition, or it will when the acquisition finishes. And um, that speaks to some of their hiring trends, where because they've grown so much with logistics and shipping, they've generated crazy amounts of jobs, and they're going to have to continue to do so if they if they want to branch out into successfully dominating yet another retail sector, <laughs> um, which sounds terrifying, especially when you take a look at the kinds of jobs that are likely to be kept or, or to be grown. You know, we're not seeing a whole lot of job growth at, say, the product engineering or um, the creating the experience, and we're actually going to be seeing a lot of jobs that are kept and or added on the uh service logistics uh manual labor end i think there's an interesting angle too that you know i've got whole foods like jason just right around the corner from my house and they have a lot of local stuff in there now a local barbecue place a bunch of local beer and they are trying to transform these stores at least like you said from just a grocery store to uh, an experience i think a large part of that is a local experience at least for some stores and amazon gets all of that with whole foods right it, it goes from being uh, a website or an app on our phones or maybe a dash button above our washing machine 
to something in my neighborhood that I can I can walk in with my family. And that that is such a different relationship than to what we have with Amazon now. I'm really interested to see how that plays out as this deal moves forward. Yeah. There was a time when I think something like this would have been a real head scratcher. But if you've been paying attention to Amazon and seeing their experiments with brick and mortar, as as Lisa, you mentioned earlier, the fact that they have these bookstores that they're trying, they have a grocery store that they've been trying in Seattle, that I think, you know, our perception of Amazon is just an online retailer. I mean, they, their ambitions are greater, as, as are Walmarts, which is why they're often pitted against each other. And it, I, I think Amazon learned at some point that ignoring the power of having a physical presence in a community and allowing people to see products in person and have that experience, if you if you if you fail to do that, you are going to miss out on a huge part of the of the consumer experience. And and so this is not as much of a shocker to me because of because of their experiments in this area. Because this you know this is Amazon saying yes, um, physical locations might be important for supply chain and delivery and things like that. But it also is important as a place for people to go and see things because people aren't just going to stay in their houses locked up with waiting for those uh, boxes to show up at their door. Sometimes you get out and you you want to, you know, you want to smell the food in the hot bar and you want to, you know, my, my Whole Foods, Stephen, has a uh, has a noodle, has a, like a ramen noodle shop in the store next door, the store uh, space next door in the mall, the strip mall um, that is operated by Whole Foods. It's, it's just, it's a restaurant essentially that's an extension of Whole Foods. And it's another way that they're trying to create this kind of community experience around their store. See, the joke I was making is I would have liked it if Amazon had actually bought Trader Joe's, because what I really want is the subscribe and save that drops off the chocolate covered peanut butter filled pretzels once a month, so I don't have to deal with the parking lot. Right. But like like Trader Joe's, uh, Whole Foods has a lot of store brands. And that's exactly, another interesting yeah. way that, that as, a, as a retailer, you can offer things for better prices and cut out a middleman, which is the branding of an actual brand and replace it even more with store brands. Yeah, I'll be interested to see how fast it takes them to integrate the Whole Foods lines into subscribe into Amazon Grocer or Subscribe and Save because um, those should be compelling bonuses for you know existing customers, and there will be nothing stopping them from tying an Amazon Prime membership to different pricing tiers with with grocery staples. You know, the same way that right now when you go into a Safeway or a Raley's. Um, you know, you pay one price if you use your membership card and you pay a higher price if you choose not to. I can easily see them doing something like that by saying if you're an Amazon Prime member, you pay this much for your, you know, pasta. And if you're not an Amazon Prime member, then you pay approximately 20% more. I do, Megan, to your point about the people at Whole Foods, right? Because I, I like I said, I've got one right here and I, I see those people. I'm always talking to the guy at the, at the uh, I can't stand in front of the beer uh, rack mm-hmm. for more than about 30 seconds without the guy who stocks and orders the beer like talking to me about it <laughs> and, and 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 given that amazon's grocery experiment in seattle had essentially no checkout people at all it was kind of the uh, entirely automated store i do wonder what uniting these two companies means in terms of like what's amazon's philosophy about what needs people um, whether it's because people are smarter or whether it's because people, humans like to talk to other humans, I, either way, what needs people uh, and what doesn't and what can be automated? Because Amazon's been so aggressive in automating things. And I do I do worry that if they went too far that way, um, you're going to lose that human factor that is a, a, a part of the brick and mortar 
sales experience. Yeah, I, uh, I, my first job was as a butcher in a Whole Foods uh, in Houston, Texas. Wow. Um, cool. I was, yeah, I was. Uh, I, I am a vegetarian now, so I don't know what that says. About. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was like I don't know, nineteen ninety two or something. Um, and uh, and I, yeah, I enjoyed talking to the people. And then later, my first job out of college was at a Borders bookstore. And so now I'm thinking like they're just this row of jobs. Uh, I think Amazon's going to come for the podcast industry now, but <laughs> next, but it's, sure. I mean, it really, like when I think about, uh, you know, everyone's talking about turning uh, the Whole Foods into a destination. That's what Borders did. You know, they had, co- they were the first ones to have coffee in the bookstore and music <laughs> in the bookstore and, and, you know, Barnes and Noble too. And they're not doing, you know, that didn't help them really at all. But there's, there is no Amazon coming for Amazon, like Amazon was coming for the bookstores. There's no, there's no one at this point, there's no, nobody I think that could catch up and, and just because also they have the cloud, the AWS. I mean, that is so huge. There's nobody, I think it would take a long time to catch up with that. Maybe Google. I don't know. I was looking at the cloud share statistics for the last quarter. Amazon's got more than 40% of the public cloud marketplace by itself put together. Microsoft, IBM and Google make up less than 25% and Google and Google is way at the bottom there. So it's, it's, I mean, Amazon is basically a cloud and data business that has figured out how to use retail to generate a whole lot of free data, which they can then turn around and and, and sell to somebody else. So we're not we're not a retail uh, a retail podcast, but I do want to ask Lisa. You know, we we talk about Walmart. Walmart is in an interesting position where, where they're coming from traditional retail yeah. and trying very hard to survive and and dominate. And Walmart's used to be a dominant force right that is that is what its role has been and now with amazon it's got something that may be an existential threat because amazon's playing all of these other games that walmart is trying to play and we should say walmart is trying to play them walmart has made a bunch of acquisitions as well they are trying to go the other direction and kind of fend off amazon and it is fascinating we don't think of walmart as a as a competitor to amazon because you know how how is that possible but they're both coming from their own areas of dominance and clashing kind of in the middle because I think they want right they want to eat each other's lunch essentially Walmart needs more higher income customers because higher income customers are great insulation during recessions because during recessions people who are already living paycheck to paycheck stop buying stuff and since the bulk of Walmart's customers tend to be working class to lower middle class to middle class people, they're the first ones who are cutting their budgets when a recession hits or when they're underemployed um, if you follow Walmart sales cycles, every time they're down, it's usually linked to a larger uh, recession. Amazon doesn't have that problem. Amazon has the other problem, as we exactly. talked about a few weeks it's ago, that the prime subscribers are super saturated yeah. in the in the uh, in the high incomes, and it's in the lower incomes where Amazon Prime is not particularly penetrated. So it's the and Whole Foods is not going to reverse that trend, right? Whole Foods is a good demographic match for Amazon's demographics. I'm also totally shocked that um, where you live doesn't have a Whole Flu- oh, Foods. Oh, Alameda, I, yeah, no, it's, yeah. Uh, I am too. I think the, the closest one's in Jack London Square, but I have to leave the island. So God yeah, knows that's I'm not going to do that. that. That's, that's, <laughs> a lot of, that's a lot of work. Meanwhile, yeah. meanwhile, they're, they're, they're two Whole Foods within a mile of each other in Mill Valley. So what is wrong with us? <laughs> Walmart has a compelling advantage over Amazon because it's already got an excellent geographic distribution in place. And this is key. It's in areas that are underserved by other retail, whether those areas are underserved because Walmart drove them out of business or not is a whole other discussion. But, you know, 
if you look outside of coastal, urban, and or affluent com- communities, Walmart is your best distribution network, and yeah. it's the best and it's the best outlet for people to go um, if they want to ship something and have it dropped at a store. Walmart is going to be easier for them to get to. Um, and again, you know, I don't think you can overstate this. You know, Walmart is currently the number one vendor of organic food in the country, and they're going to have tremendous leverage on the back end, even even when dealing with Amazon. They are, in many ways, the backbone of several counties' economies in ways that Amazon currently is not. So they're going to have ties to civic infrastructure and to local economies in ways that may make it easier for them to continue operating while Amazon is still trying to build those relationships and move into those spaces. I feel like they're converging at the same point and they're coming from opposite directions. Yep. The competition is good because like Megan said, who's coming for Amazon? And uh, when she asked that, I started thinking, that's a good question. And <laughs> and the only answer I have to that is we haven't been able to anticipate what the next category disruptor is going to be. Like something is going to happen where Amazon doesn't see it coming, but somebody else already has. I don't know what that is yet. And to your point about the um, the people of, you know, that aren't, that don't have a Whole Foods nearby, um, besides you, Lisa, uh, just that <laughs> they, they, I mean, Amazon's working the on those people too. I mean, they just offered um, to people who are on temporary assistance. You can get a Prime membership for half the price, and they they really like they're working all angles. I think they have they all of their technology and their products are aimed at the people that have a lot of money and no time, and the people that have more time but no money. So, I mean, I guess then then they're who are, who's working on the people that have no time and no money. Um, I, I maybe they're not. That's the segment that they need. But I'm assuming that they they probably want people with money. Too, but that's the thing because it's like I don't have time to look at all and compare prices constantly. I, I'll do it sometimes, but it's really nice to be able to just tell my uh, Amazon Echo to order paper towels and it does it. And I don't, and it's you know, it'll probably pick almost the most expensive way to buy it, and it probably knows that about me already that I, I don't have the time to sit and compare prices. But it is also aiming at the people that do like want the buy box and that sort of thing. There's more about Amazon, uh, believe it or not to talk about, but I want to take a break <laughs> and tell everybody about our uh, sponsor. This episode of Download brought to you by MailRoute, which is a secure hosted email filtering service. You can have it up and running in just minutes. It gets rid of spam and viruses. They never even reach your email server, so you don't have to. You don't install any hardware. You don't install any software. You make a slight domain name change, and the mail goes to MailRoute, goes through the filter, and then comes to you. They take care of updates and upgrades. You don't need to worry about about it. They have a 24-7 support team in case you do need help and fantastic reporting tools and notifications so you can keep track of everything that's going on with your filtered email. MailRoute takes advantage of four data centers. They have 3x redundancy to take care of your email. There's no single point of failure and they keep their servers running at no more than 33% capacity. So if there is a spike, they can handle it. They are very smart email experts at MailRoute. This week's MailRoute filtered out so I didn't need to see it, except it comes in the spam report I get, and I like to look at. The spam subject of the week, I was tempted to pick a pretty standard one, which is today's special deals, all Ray-Ban sunglasses, style, 80% off. I don't know what that means, but I decided instead to go with this subject, which was sent to me and never reached me because of mail route. It simply said, GIDS. <laughs> what does it mean? I don't know. 
I don't care. I didn't have to see it. It never reached my server because MailRoute was filtering this mail before it ever got to me. Uh, you can find more about MailRoute by going to MailRoute.net slash DownloadFM. Sign up to get a 30-day free trial and 10% off the lifetime of your account, and they'll price match a competitor's product. Thank you so much to MailRoute for supporting this show and saving me from GIDS. Whatever that is. All right. Topic number two. It is It is a little bit more Amazon. The summer of Amazon rolls on. Wow. This is just imagine like American graffiti, but instead of Wolfman Jack coming out of everybody's radios, it's just Jeff Bezos saying more things, announcing more things. Um, try before you buy clothing market. Now there, there's been like Zappos, ha- which is owned by Amazon, has this you know kind of no fear thing where you can get your, your shoes from them and, and try them on. And if you don't like them, you just send them back, and it's not a big deal. There are box services that uh, shop for you, something like Stitch Fix and other sort of fashion boxes. Amazon is creating something called Prime Wardrobe, which they announced this week, where you select between three and fifteen apparel items, and they're sent to you in a resealable box with a return label so the whole idea is you get to shop without fear you try on the clothes return the ones you don't want and then you get charged for the ones that you keep there's even some gamification going on the more items you keep the bigger your discount gets so you know leave it to amazon to reduce the final amounts of friction remaining in buying clothes over the internet uh megan let me start with you uh when you hear about something like this uh what do you think like are you have you given in to the buying clothes on the internet thing or um or have you resisted uh i absolutely have given in to buying clothes on the internet (laughs) and uh trunk trunk club was one of our sponsors and they're not anymore but i i am still they've stopped sponsoring twit but i continue to sponsor them because (laughs) i i don't like going shopping i don't like the mall i don't like there's a cute little independent store in Petaluma that I like going to, but then I always feel like sort of pressured, even though they're very nice. Like everything I try on, they're like, oh, you look, that looks great on you. And so, and it's like ethical clothes. So you know that it, you know, it's made in the United States somewhere. And so, but it's super expensive and I, I always feel guilt and pressure. So I love these services. Um, I, I have another one that I use too called MM Le Fleur. Um, and yeah, yeah. (laughs) You probably, maybe you get the same ads on Instagram that I do that (laughs) on Facebook that, um, and I like them too. And both of them, it's not, it's no longer free with trunk club. It used to be free. You could get a box. If you didn't like anything, you sent it back. There was no cost to you at all, but that obviously didn't work. And if it didn't work already, if they're already in trouble, like then I don't think they're going to survive Amazon. Um, they, now they charge you to send a box and then it's sort of the same gamification. If you, you know, if you buy, buy something, then it will um, be taken off. That that money you paid was, you know, it's a deposit, but you don't get it back if you don't buy anything. So this appears to be free with Amazon. I don't know why they wouldn't do it for free. And yeah, I mean, I think what this story mainly made me think, and I don't know the answer to this question, I'd love to know, how many psychologists or human behaviorists do does Amazon have on staff? Because I oh, feel yeah. like yeah. they are constantly trying to figure out what I feel like, wow, you know me better than my own family knows me because this is exactly what I wanted. And I continue to feel that with all of their products. Lisa, what do you think about this? You do you have you dabbled in the internet clothing thing and, and uh what's what's the what's your take on Amazon's 
So I honestly cannot remember the last time I bought clothes in a store um, or for my daughter, for that matter, because honestly, it's easier to just buy clothes for children and have them ship than it is to try try and drag a person through a store who who doesn't want to be there. Um, (laughs) So there were a couple things about this that I thought were interesting. First, it's linked to your Prime account. So if you have Amazon Prime, it's great. You can get things shipped to you for free or not. And um, it does eliminate a lot of the the try before you buy anxiety that you have with other retailers. There are a couple online retailers I like that do charge for returns. And so my incentive to buy the same item in two or three sizes, pick the one that fits best and ship back, my incentive is gone. Because if I have to pay eight bucks to ship things back, that's $8 plus it's my time, I have to package things up, drop it off at UPS. Eh, But with Amazon, boom, that friction is all gone. However, and here I am giving you guys a preview of tomorrow. So what who cares, because I wrote about this. Um, What I think this is going to turn out for people instead, is it's going to be a way for them to set up a replenishment service for the really utilitarian stuff that you replace all the time. Um, Because and, and I linked this back to Amazon Mom, which is now Amazon Parent, which is what got me sucked into Prime way back in 2010, because you could set up a diaper subscription, and you got a substantial discount on it. And it was a completely frictionless way to get baby stuff sent all the time. And I could easily size up on onesies. And when I was looking at the details for um, Prime Wardrobe, I thought, this is a great way to make sure that you get socks and underwear shipped to you at a discount fairly regularly, because all you have to do is select three things. So there's your household sock quota, there's your household's underwear quota, you have a kid who's in dance, and they go through tights like crazy, and your closest dance specialty store is 45 minutes away. Meh, don't worry. Uh, you know, add add tights to the order, you have a kid or you yourself are on swim team, and they're going through speedos because the pool is over chlorinated, throw in some swimsuits. Um, I think this is what's going to get people to come back again and again is it's going to be the really unsexy staples. I mean, a lot of folks have focused on, oh, it's a box like M.M. Lafleur and Stitch Fix and Gwynny B. But the competitive differentiator for those boxes is they're selling the idea that you're getting a personalized collection with a really specific aesthetic point of view translated for your personal comfort level. Whereas Amazon's like, go ahead, sort through our inventory of millions of items, throw three to 15 things in there, we will ship them to you, you keep what you want. And it'll be a great way for parents to stock up on basics for kids, it'll be a great way for grownups to stock up on basics for themselves, and it will be brainless. And Amazon will start building in triggers where they send you emails every three to six months saying, we notice you've been buying onesies in size three to six months, do you need to move it up to nine to 12 months yet? And people say, Oh, you're right, I do click. And uh, it will go from there. This sort of kills me too, though, because I think there's so much fast fashion. And there's so much, you know, with Target and Walmart, it's like, Oh, well, it's cheap. So I'll just buy it, even though I don't need it. And it is, uh, you know, gets to the environmental side of me. That's just like, Oh, you know, I remember when we were kids, it was like, I, you know, if I wore socks with holes in them, and I, you know, it just wasn't so easy to replace what you had. And the easier that they make it, um, the worse it is for us, I think, you know, as as a as a planet? Oh, absolutely. No, I, I completely agree with you there. I think Amazon's not going to be able to complain on like an ethical fashion front or a green front or anything like that. And so 
this is where subscription boxes can somehow try to split the difference between, no, really, it's totally green to get this monthly load of, of ethically produced clothing at, without without questioning the premise of overconsumption to begin with. Mm-hmm. What about the um, the style advisor aspect here? A lot of these Trunk Club and Stitch Fix, they've got, you know, the, one of their selling points is we've got people who are going to make some sort of decisions based on your preferences and we learn what you're, what you're liking and what you're not liking. We're suggesting things where Amazon, at least right now, Prime Wardrobe seems to be much more about it's like a a, a, a risk free shopping cart where you can just dump a bunch of stuff you pick in and it gets sent to you. Um, so right now I can see there's a differentiator there. Although when you throw in the Amazon Echo Look, which the, is that little camera Echo thing that takes pictures of you and all the customer data they've got about you, surely it won't be long before Amazon's machine learning can recommend things that it thinks you're going to like. I mean, that's that that seems to be the gap now, but I would imagine that would close pretty quickly. And it's not that long before Amazon's going to be able to say, how about I sell, send you 15 things mm-hmm. that I've picked for you? Like, that's the next step here. Have you seen Amazon? You, you're no, you know about Amazon Discovery. It's like that ribbon at the top of the homepage and you click and they throw up all the cool stuff that you may not be aware is on Amazon. And you can put, you can like favorite specific items. And uh, what I've noticed lately is when I go back and I look at it, they're like, well, based on your past favorites, here are more items that are similar that we think you'd like. And uh, I, I, I think you're right. They're, they're going to personalize it soon. And you're going to have to opt out of getting items that you didn't specifically pick for your shopping cart. They may experiment with that. They're maybe some pushback. Um, the thing about personalization and customization is it's people intensive right now. You know, with uh, Stitch Fix, they have human stylists who look through customer requests and then have to pick from whatever inventory Stitch Fix has. That takes time. And I'm sure there are search tools. And what I have noticed is that a lot of Stitch Fix customers and Stitch Fix stylists will use Pinterest as a way to try to communicate their their overall aesthetic to each other. And, and come to a better understanding. That's all labor intensive because that's a person who has to put time and attention into it. Yeah. And, um, Amazon is going to be able to, you know, eliminate that aspect. So, so, so what they'll probably do is they'll probably compete based on price and convenience and people will treat it like subscribe and save except for clothing. Yeah. Stephen Hackett, do, do you use the internet for clothing? Uh, I do, but it's mostly podcast t-shirts from, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I do. Uh, I mean, for the, for all the same reasons that Lisa spoke about, right. I, uh, I don't particularly like going to the store for myself. Uh, we do shop in person for our kids still, but for some stuff, but you know, if you, if you know the size or you know the brand, then I'm, I'm pretty comfortable doing it. And so I think once this rolls out is definitely gonna be something, that I look at for myself. I, I put the, you know, I did the, the cardinal sin of clicking the button to t- let Amazon tell me when it's ready. So who knows what I've just signed up for. They're just going to come to my house like here, this is, this is for you. But uh, I'm excited about it. I think that they, if they can, they can fix the shipping thing, which we've talked about. You don't have to go to UPS store and you know, that the money comes out of the refund and uh, then I'm, I'm willing to give it a shot. So uh, I'm excited about it. I should mention there's a bonus, a uh, little bonus Amazon topic before we move on to a non-Amazon topic. It's it's a, like games last week. It was it was what ha- it's it's summer now. Sometimes nothing happens. Sometimes <laughs> only a couple of things happen. Amazon's been busy this week. Um, there's a BuzzFeed article by uh, Leticia Miranda about the war behind 
uh, how you get on the add to cart button on a product page at Amazon. Because, of course, Amazon sells products, but there are also third-party sellers, and they compete to see if they can become the one that's on the add to cart. And there's an algorithm, and it has to do with shipping and availability and 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 price and all of these different things. Um, I always uh, wonder about that because I prefer to buy from Amazon for some reason. I feel like it's more likely to be not a counterfeit product and be available and not be a used product sold as a new product and all of those things. Although I, I know that, that you know, some people know that they're buying from other sources and they're perfectly okay. And I certainly have bought from other stores inside of Amazon. I just, uh, I wonder about this aspect. It's another fascinating aspect where Amazon's undercutting, you know, the Ebays of the world is the, is the way that they've done this. And they're whole businesses now that this is what they do is they sell their product through Amazon and they optimize and it's all based on data, what they put in Amazon's warehouses, what they ship from their own warehouses. It's a fantastic story. People should check it out. Stephen, you, you, uh, you have a story about selling things on Amazon, don't you? Yeah. So you can, you can sell like as an individual, individual thing. So I was getting rid of some camera equipment and normally I would have gone, you know, someplace local or, you know, God forbid eBay. I thought, you know, let me try, let me try the Amazon marketplace. And I got to say, like, I mean, I do tech for a living. Like, I, I, you know, I'm pretty comfortable with online systems and stuff. And it was super confusing. Like their seller's dashboard was hard to sign up for the, uh, what really surprised me was the notification system. So when it says, Hey, someone has purchased your item, I got an email and it was like half an hour before it showed up on the, like the dashboard that this item had sold and even longer for the shipping information to come through. And it's like, this company owns AWS. Like, why is this web dashboard so bad? But the whole system was clearly designed for a different use and they sort of shoehorned individual sellers into it. And I know there's a lot of conversation about, you know, buying from individual people on Amazon and whether that's good or bad. But from the seller perspective, the couple of times I've done it, it's not a great experience. And it's not something that I think that I'm going to do again unless you know, I really want to, uh, avoid, you know, the, the hassle of eBay, the hassle of eBay, you know, there are people there who are going to do scammy things or whatever, but Amazon could learn from eBay that their system, like the whole dashboard and the way you list an item and how you manage all the settings is so much better than what Amazon gives individuals. It's, it's really unbelievable. Yeah. My, my issue with Amazon is a lot of the, the, the labeling that when you're in that add to cart area, if you're not paying close attention, which you need to now on Amazon, you will end up with something that's not the experience you want because it's coming from another source. And I would sometimes I, I kind of want a setting that says just, you know, I only let's pretend that it's only coming from Amazon or from Amazon warehouses. Um, that that said, I mean, I'm happy to switch over into that mode. Sometimes I'll search for a book and I'll find that it's $14 here and $16, you know, 14 Kindle, 16 in trade paperback. And I'll think, oh, I could just get a used copy on Amazon for three bucks. And I've done that and that's fine. But it's my choice to go uh, shopping for a bargain at that point instead of buying the brand new thing. That's pretty much how I buy all my books now is if I buy a physical copy of a book, I wait until it comes out used on Amazon, go through and there's like five different bookstores on used book vendors on Amazon that I looked to, to see, is it you? Because I've had great experiences with them. And sometimes if you reach out personally and ask, hey, I'm ordering four books from you, can you combine shipping for me? They'll do it. Sometimes. I mean, other times they're like, no, because this book is 99 cents. And we're making the money off of shipping. So yeah, it's, it's, but it's worth asking. You yeah, know? absolutely. Yeah. 
All right, I'm Amazon out. Let's yes. uh, move on to to other topics. Uh, just a reminder before we do, you can always suggest stories for us on Twitter at hashtag download stories or just tweet at us your thoughts at underscore download FM. Now it's time for a story you might have missed. This is a story that may have flown under the radar this week, but we think it's worth mentioning and we'll put a link in the show notes to it as well. Imagine, if you will, a Roomba in your garden. Now, don't take your Roomba and put it in your garden. That won't work. It's There's so much dirt. It won't know what to do. It'll just explode. But there is this thing that it, that is called the turtle that uh, Stephen Hackett passed on to me. It's spelled funny because it's the, it's a computer product. Um, it's from a team that includes the person who invented the Roomba, and it's a little solar-powered guy who is green. The turtle is green, of course. Moves around your garden and whacks any plant that fits underneath his little body, and the, he's got a little weed whacker. So the idea is that this cute little guy moves around in your garden and finds that the taller items that are plants, it leaves alone, and the shorter items, which are the weeds, get um, get whacked, which is uh, pretty cool. I have no idea if it works at all, but it does make me realize that there will be some day where there are little garden bots with, and this is not, not far away, I think, where they can use machine learning to identify what kind of plant varieties are the plants that you want in your garden and what things are weeds and pull the weeds out and maybe, you know, even in an effective way where they don't come back. It's going to happen. Is the turtle that? Well, no, it's just kind of like a semi-smart weed whacker. But still, one day the garden Roomba will solve your weeding problem. But not not yet. Not yet. You still got to go out there and, and, and weed. Okay, topic number three. Uh, this is going to get a little bit ret- or a little bit uh, recursive. Gossip about gossip. Uh, <laughs> uh, William Turton on the outline has a leaked briefing at Apple where Apple is talking to its employees about why they shouldn't leak information. So some wise acre uh, said, you know what would be funny is if I leaked the session about not leaking information. And so they did. I, I think they actually sent an audio recording of the entire thing to the outline. Um, just more more broadly, the, the, Apple and security and secrecy and, and, and having surprises when they launch products. Megan, does it, does it matter to you? Do you enjoy the surprise? Do we, do we as a society benefit from these leaks, knowing what the shape of the iPhone is four months before... Um, you know, is, it doesn't matter. I don't think we as a society benefit as a whole from the leaks. I feel like there should be surprise. But what fascinated me about this story so much is the developers and the people working on the products and this idea that they were really bummed. Like when <laughs> yeah. they, they get bummed when leaks happen because it's like it steals their day in the sun. And that that sort of changed me because before I was just like, oh, gosh, yeah, like Apple's secretive. And, you know, it's our job to try to tell everyone everything that they're going to find out so that they don't get too excited and we're all jaded. But then when I thought about that, I thought that was a really good reason. Like here are these people that have worked so hard on these products and they're waiting for the day to it to be announced on stage, you know, with a guy in an untucked shirt and, you know, everyone's clapping in the audience <laughs> and we're stealing that from them. You know, like Mark Gurman is tearing that out of their hands, that sunshine, you know, out of their hands and, and throwing it on the internet before. But 
you know, part of me also thinks that it is part of the, like, that Apple enjoys that we're always so fascinated with finding out what they're doing, that they like that part of it. But, you know, and it's it's also, I think, le- someone who is a leaker who is trying to feed their family by selling, like, the back of a, ca- you know, the next iPhone case so that they can, you know, steal it out of the factory and sell it and, and be able to, you know, put food in their children's mouth. That is very different than, like, someone who, you know, finds a, an iPhone in a bar in San Francisco and then, you know, so, but that's what they're finding that now that they are controlling the supply chain more, they're finding that most of the, more and more of the leaks are actually coming from inside the house. So uh, I have a love hate relationship with leaks because, you know, as a reporter, you're like, all right, information scoops, dirt. Um, And it lets you research and write good stories on it as opposed to sitting in an audience and thinking, crap, now I have to learn a whole lot about a product category I was unaware existed until five seconds ago. Mm. That said, um, there is a big part of me that always thinks if there's a leak, you have to question who's benefiting by leaking and what the benefit is. And um, I think the fact that you had people who were smuggling out watch parts because they were getting paid so little in a factory, that speaks to a bigger issue than, oh, it it ruins the surprise. Um, You know, there's some pretty radical economic inequality going on there. Um, And it also talks about, uh, and it also demonstrates the exactly how valuable information is. Um, What keeps standing out for me, and this outline article is bananas. Um, You know, you read through it and you just keep, I kept having to pause and go, no, and oh, wow. Um, What amazes me is in the briefing when they say, I'm not telling you to give up on all relationships, but that you have a built-in relationship monitor you're constantly using. Um, You know who else gets that advice? Secret agents. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Compartmentalization is an important part of Natasha Romanoff gets that advice before she goes out and does stuff for the Avengers. Um, (laughs) I've talked to Apple people about this. You know, it, it is there is that issue. I mean, I even had that at one point. I had an NDA that was that was very very specific about who I wasn't supposed to talk to, and they, they did have the carve out for like you could mention it to members of your family if you told them that they couldn't mention it to anybody else. But um, there is that moment of like if you're working on the top secret project, how do you describe your day to your to your partner, right? And the answer is that the um, at the at the uh, Computer History Museum this week, they talked to a bunch of members of the iPhone, original iPhone team, because it's the 10th anniversary is coming up of the release of the iPhone. And they talked about how there are two ways of doing this. Um, there is the way where you get incredibly specific and the way where you get incredibly general. But the idea there, so they could say, for example, yeah, we really had, we had to put this extra information in the database and it was a really hard problem. That was frustrating today. And if you really wanted to know what was secretly going on at Apple, what would you glean from that? Aha! A database is involved, right? But you <laughs> yeah. had to like, com- you had to make it like either very specific or very general and not say, oh, by the way, we're working on a, a phone and Apple's going to do a phone in two years because that is too far to go. I, so I, I get it, but, um, I, I, I share with you, Lisa, my, my hesitance. It, it is, it's funny that Outline Story talks about the same thing that happened on stage at the developer conference and that in Tim Cook interviews after the fact and that um, in uh, Phil Schiller interviews after the fact that it seems like this is the talking point at Apple now is somebody at Apple, you talk about Amazon having psychologists on their staff. Um, somebody at Apple has said, 
maybe a way to dissuade people from leaking is to talk about the human cost is to talk about you know you're you're robbing your your colleagues of their moment in the sun by uh leaking what they're working on and that maybe that's a way to appeal to potential leakers inside apple about it as a as a journalist i look at it and say i'm not sure i have any particular responsibility to people who work at a company and are paid to work on a product to not report on things that I know about, then again, I'm not in the leak business, so I'm not going to really do it anyway. But it's it, but it's not for me, right? Like that, that argument is for people who are at Apple and are privy to this stuff to say, don't, don't blow that information that you have about your friend's project because it will hurt them. And maybe that'll work. The, the leaks out of Apple were uh, way less than they have been in quite a while the last couple of uh, the last couple of months and clearly Apple has made a, a big deal about about secrecy and launching their products then again I could make the opposite argument right which is that most Apple products these days are launched after extensive rumors give us most of the details and it hasn't seemed to hurt them no it's like getting movie it's like getting movie previews yeah which often will give away the movie but sometimes they make you want to see the movie more I don't know if there's actually been research that shows um, any trailers that have suppressed interest in a movie, but they tend to raise public awareness of it and the specifics or, or rather broad enough outlines of the specifics. Oh, this is a movie about superheroes. Oh, this is a movie about superheroes. Yeah. Keanu Reeves in a trench coat. <laughs> oh, this is a movie where Reese Witherspoon is adorable. And then people start talking about that. It raises awareness and buzz. And so when it hits the theaters, you're like, Oh, that's right. Reese Witherspoon is a superhero in a trench coat. And you go. So, <laughs> well, now everybody knows, thanks to the outline, what, uh, what Apple employees are told about keeping their mouths shut yeah they're not allowed to talk in the hall because it's a red zone that's right that's right people should listen to the uh that uh that computer history museum thing we'll put a link in the show notes it is not only does scott forstall who was uh who was fired uh a, a while ago talks basically for the first time publicly about apple and he was given every opportunity to slag his former employer and basically didn't do it but uh if you think about it from a historical perspective you can think about the secrecy that went and it's not like there weren't rumors about the iPhone being out there, but like the, what what they went through for a couple of years in terms of trying to keep it quiet and sort of sucking people into this one building that nobody knew what was going on in there and and that they would come out and talk to their friends in other buildings and their managers would immediately be like, no, no, you can't take him. No, I need this guy. And then they would be, they would disappear into the black hole that turned out to be the iPhone thing. People should check it out. It's the Apple's, Apple's secrecy has been going on uh, for a long time and it's war on leaks too. Like in the mid 90s, Mac Week wrote stories about Apple products all the time, and Apple was furious about it long before Steve Jobs came back. Um, this has been, this is just, this always happens. It's just, uh, it's reached a different level now. All right, I feel like we've reached the end of our conversation for this time. Lots of Amazon. Wonder what they'll do next. Who knows? Um, I don't want to remind everybody. You can find us, uh, of course, underscore download FM on Twitter, relay.fm slash download for all the links from this episode. Hashtag download stories if you want to make a story suggestion. And let me tell you, next week we will be back, of course. Here's what you can look out for in the week ahead. Apple's first public iOS and macOS betas for the new operating systems coming this fall will probably arrive. I think they said by the end of the month that's coming up so let's uh say probably next week as i mentioned earlier it is the 10th anniversary of the iphone uh, next thursday you might say well wait wasn't it in january well they announced it in january 10 years ago but it shipped uh in june on the 29th 
of uh, of uh, 2007. So uh, expect more think pieces or recycled think pieces from January to come. Uh, just lots of them next week. And I'm going to try to go visit my mom in Phoenix, Arizona this weekend. And that's only if my plane is allowed to land because temperatures there have been around 120. And it turns out there's physics reasons why it's hard to land and take off, especially planes when it's that hot. Uh, but if I manage it and then manage to somehow escape that heat and come back here, I will be back for next week's download. Uh, but until then, I want to thank my guests for being here. Lisa Schmeiser, where can people find the stuff that you do? I would start at twitter.com slash L-S-C-H-M-E-I-S-E-R. And you can find a link to my Observer column. So what who cares in my Twitter bio. And Megan Maroney, where can people find the stuff that you do? Uh, twit.tv slash iOS or twit.tv slash TNT or Megan Maroney on Twitter or MeganMaroney.com. Look, so many, so many ways to find Megan and, mm-hmm. and listen to her, uh, listen to her shows too. You should do that. Uh, thanks to you both and to my producer, Stephen Hackett and to Waz, the office fish. Thanks, Stephen. <laughs> he did all the heavy lifting, not me. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm going to, he's by next week. He may be my producer. So we'll see. I am Jason Snell. I've been your host until next week. We will keep watching the headlines so you don't have to. Goodbye, everybody.